Well, good afternoon, Soul City Church. How you doing this afternoon? I like it. It's a loaded question. You know the answer every time, so thank you uh, for doing that. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City. I have the privilege of being one of the lead pastors here, and I'm so, I'm so glad. It's so good to see you and to be with you. If you're watching online, I can't see you, but I'm sure you look awesome. Uh, it's just good to be with y'all, and I'm so excited to get into uh, this message today as we continue in our teaching series, Just My uh, Type. But before we do, I want to just pause and, and continue on what Pastor Phil just led us through as we receive communion and we thought of that Dainu God, that God that goes above and beyond. Uh, one of the ways we respond to a God who does not hold back, who goes above and beyond, is we give back to him. We turn our gratitude into giving and we say, God, we want to uh, give back to you to release the hold our stuff has on us. And I just want to say, uh, as one of the lead pastors here, you are one of the most uh, generous and loving communities I have ever, ever been a part of. Just a quick example. Uh, at the end of this last year, we had a campaign called Next is Now, where we wanted to really uh, get behind and believe in this next generation with our partner in Enlace, which is in El Salvador, here at Breakthrough Urban Ministries on the west side, and then also in our Soul City Kids spaces. We wanted to uh, really release resources to, to take those uh, to the next level. Well, we got to the end of the year, and we didn't quite hit our God-sized goal of $350,000, right? That was our goal, $350,000 to go to these partners and to renovate our space. And so as leaders, Gene and I had that tough thing, like, oh, what do we do about that? Because we want to celebrate God's faithfulness and your generosity, but like we didn't get all the way there. And so, you know, we're not going to cut our, anything short in our partners, so we're going to rearrange some of our plan here at the church that we're going to do in our family spaces. And wouldn't you know it, this last week, a family from our church reached out to us and said, hey, I just want to know... Um, what's left in the campaign? Like, what's, what's left to give? Is, what's the gap? And so our team, you know, reached out and said, oh, here's what it is. And by the end of the day, they had completely closed out the gap of that campaign. So you all, this is pretty exciting to celebrate God's faithfulness and your generosity. So when we give, that's really what it's about. It's about saying thank you, God, for not holding back on me. And so if you are ready to give, uh, we want to let you know there's three ways to do that. You can do it the old school way, which is giving in the buckets. Our uh, host team is going to come forward now to let you do that. And so you can give in the buckets, or you can text in to give. That's a great way to say, man, I want to get behind what God's doing through this church, or do it online. That's how Gene and I have done it since before we even opened doors to this church. It helps us be faithful and joyful in our giving. Now, I mentioned how excited I am to get into this message, but before I get into this message, I just want to pause for a second. We're going to multitask for a second, and I just, I just want to say something, because someone gave me a mic, and I just have to say this. <laughs> So I want to pause just for a moment in the middle of the month to honor and acknowledge Black History Month. And I just want to say that it goes without saying, but it needs to be said, there is no American history without black history. There just isn't. And for us, a month um, does not encompass. It's not enough. Uh, as we think about the a price that's been paid and the folks that have uh, given of their lives and given of themselves, uh, black folks, to make the American dream happen while simultaneously being denied that same dream. We have a long way to go as a country. And so we celebrate and are grateful for the accomplishments of black folks that make our country what it is. But we also, we got to get real about where we all each need to grow, that we are living in a day and age where that is not easily honored or recognized that we are uh, incarcerating black men at an alarming um, a rate, a disproportionate rate, that we still to this day 
are, are, are attempting to suppress black votes and black voices doesn't make any sense. That we still have to even have a conversation about blackface. We, that we have to continue to ask the question, do black lives really matter? We have a long way to go as a country, but I think it's so incredibly important for us to pause and to honor and to celebrate every black folk that's a part of this church, that's a part of the city, that's a part of this country. We would not be who we are. This church is so much more beautiful because of the people of color that make it what it is, and I am so grateful uh, for it. Now, if you've been around this church for a little bit, like you know that Gene and I are not perfect pastors. You've been here for more than five minutes. You figured that out. This is not a perfect church. We have a long way to go and a lot of areas to grow in. But our hope as a church is that we would look more like heaven than earth. And that we would recognize the dignity and the divine design of every single person. And that we would welcome that and honor that. And that we would be better because of that. And while we pause, and it's very important for us to celebrate and honor and recognize black history, we're also about black futures. And we want to create the kind of community where we get to be a part of that for every single person. So I just wanted to pause for a second. It's not in my notes, but just wanted to honor that and acknowledge that in our church and in our city and in our country. Okay, so now to the written part that I have written down here. Uh, have you ever had a moment like where you completely lost it and you, and you don't even know how it is? Like you completely like flipped out and just lost your cool, and maybe you blew up on someone, or by yourself, or you found yourself acting a certain way that you, you don't even know how you got there. Ever happened to you? Nope, just me? Okay. Um, <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Uh, so this happens, this happens to me regularly, and so I, uh, this happened a little while ago. Gene and I were on our date night, so Gene and I have a Thursday night date night, and we are heading to a new restaurant that we'd never been to uh, in the Loop. And I, I, I love this city. I hate the Loop. I hate driving in a Loop. I hate parking in a Loop. And I, I didn't know quite where this restaurant was, and so I had the Google Maps out while I'm trying to find it. Now, quick little backstory. I have um, take medication for ADD. I know for those of you who know me, this will come as a shock, uh, but I have ADD. And so I had upped my, because I didn't feel like it was quite working, so I upped my dosage about a day or two before, and I was not fully feeling like myself, okay? And so we're driving through, and I've got the Google map, and I'm, it's like Dorothy and the tornado. Like, you know, in the loop, the Google Maps just spins in circles. It doesn't know where you are. And so I'm stressed out, and I'm frustrated, and we're kind of running late. And I'd missed the street twice now that we were supposed to turn on for this little restaurant. And so finally, on the third time missing it, Jeannie goes, Jared, there it is. You just missed it again. And I lost it. I'm like, fine, you know what? Why don't you drive? I always drive. You seem to know the city like the back of your hand. Fine, why don't you take a, I'm just going to pull over so you can drive. Now, I don't typically speak to my wife that way. So the point where she just kind of looked at me and went, what? And I, and I had no defense. And I, went, I instantly started laughing. I went, I don't know why. I just literally turned into the Hulk for the last 10 seconds. I don't know why. And so we kind of worked it out over dinner. I'm like, please, please, please forgive me. She's like, cool, just don't ever do that again. I'm like, yeah, no. Understood. You ever found yourself in a, where you just act, you blew up, you lost it on someone or by yourself? You ever, ever wonder how it is that you got there? Like when you don't even know what it is that you're fully doing or more specifically why it is that you're doing, how is it that we can get to those places? All of us get to those places. How is that? I think it's because the truth, if we were to be really honest, if we were to be really honest about ourselves, the truth about me is that I often don't know the truth about me. Truth about you is that you often don't know the truth about you. You don't totally always know. I don't always totally know what it is that's going on in 
side of me. How many of us know that that's true, that we don't always know what's true of us? I found that most people spend most of their lives mostly unaware of most of what they do. They just don't know how, why, what, or where is going on in their lives, why it is that they blow up or pull away, why we overcommit and underperform, why we hurt others and why we hurt ourselves. The truth about me is I often don't know the truth about me, which is why we're taking these few weeks to dive a little bit deeper and to ask God to turn the lights on for us so that we can actually know how and who God has created us to be so that we can actually better love him, love others, and ultimately even love ourselves as well. And to do that, we've been using a tool called the Enneagram. Lots of folks in our church are familiar with the Enneagram. It's not the only tool that we use to help God uses to help us grow, but it's a great one, a tool for real transformation. And if you were here last week, you heard Jeannie and I teach through kind of at a 30,000-foot level each of the different types within the Enneagram. I don't have time to go back through that message, but a quick refresher. The Enneagram is this ancient tool that kind of paints nine different types, or I think a better way to say it is nine different lenses through which each of us uniquely sees the world, sees ourselves, sees others, sees God. It's the lens through which you actually see things. And so we'll just throw up on the screen just so you can, I don't, can't walk through each of these right now. I'm going to do that in a little bit. But there's nine different types. We talked through it last week, gave you some homework to dive in deeper on your own. And what's important to understand about these nine different Enneagram types is this, is that no one moves between types. Okay? So this is really important. So no one moves between types. In other words, what do I mean? A one, a perfectionist, isn't a one and a nine. It does, it just, that's kind of the way it's set up. You are one type. In fact, usually your type is set by about five, six, seven, eight years old. Those kind of locked in. So you don't move between types. A four isn't also a two. Does that make sense? But that doesn't, move that you don't, that doesn't mean that you don't move within your type. So we don't move between our types. The lens that you look at through the world is pretty much the lens you look at. But it doesn't mean that you don't move within your specific type. In fact, all of us are... Uh, an ever-dynamic scale that moves between healthy and unhealthy, between connected and disconnected, between aware and unaware, ultimately between light and dark. We don't move between numbers, but there's a lot of movement within the lens that you see the world. Now, let me show you what I mean. Uh, how many of us, just by raising your hands, how many of us wear or have ever had to wear glasses before? Raise your hand if you if wear or ever. Okay, look at all of you. Okay, good. We are in good company. If you have never had to wear glasses, we don't want to hear about it, okay? <laughs> we get it. God loves you more than us. He gave you perfect vision. We got it, okay? But I, I've had to wear glasses for years and up until uh, last year uh, when I was miraculously healed through uh, a miracle of LASIK. And at one point, I think I saw Jesus in the room. I wasn't quite sure. It was all a blur for a little bit there. But, so, but for years I wore glasses, and Jeannie's whole life she's had to wear glasses. Now, for those of us who've had to wear glasses or wear glasses, you know that you have a specific prescription, right? You go to the doctor, the eye doctor, and they have you look at the charts, and they say, is it one? Is it two? Is it one? Is it two? And you have to go back and forth and kind of get it all right. And you know that even your eyes can have kind of a different thing. So your prescription is unique to you. 
So that if I were to put on Jeannie's glasses, which I've done before, it's very disorienting. But when I put on my glasses or my prescription, I see things the way that they are, the way that they're supposed to be. So for those of us who wear glasses, you get this. But you also know that while you have a unique prescription that's unique to your eyes, you know that the further you pull your glasses away, anyone ever done this before, from your eyes, the more out of focus things get, the blurrier things get, right? And this is something that anyone who's worn glasses has played with their glasses before, you know this that it really, the closer that you get, the more clearer things are. You have a unique prescription, but there's movement within it. The same is true of the Enneagram. No one moves between types, but there's a ton of movement within your unique lens and how you look at the world. Now, this is not a concept that is unique or new uh, or exclusive to the Enneagram. In fact, this is a truth that God has been trying to tell you about you long before you ever got here. In fact, there are countless stories throughout the Bible that show us the complexity and the depth of personality within different stories within the Bible. And there are also passages that speak to this complexity of who we actually already are. And one of those passages is found in the book of 1 John. So I want you to grab a Bible and open up to 1 John. If you brought your Bible with you, awesome. If not, there should be one right under your seat. It looks just like this. It's a Soul City Bible. You can grab that Bible, the Soul City Bible, and turn to page 986. Page 986 in the Soul City Bible will get you to 1 John. Let me give you some quick uh, context as to where we're at in uh, this passage. John uh, was one of those disciples that Pastor Phil talked about a minute ago that was sitting around the table with Jesus. He was one of those first followers and disciples of Jesus, or the Gospel of John. He's also written uh, 1st and 2nd and 3rd John. And so he is uh, dynamic in the sense that he takes deep uh, theological, spiritual truths, and he makes them so simple and approachable. And oftentimes, John will use image or metaphor to do that. Lots of times, he paints in pictures to help us get the big things of the heart and the character of God and who we actually are. And this passage we're about to look at is no exception. So let's look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is what he has to say about us and about God. He says, this is the message that we've heard from him and declare to you. In other words, this is a word from God for you. In other words, pay attention, sit up, grab your highlighter, pay attention to this. And this is what he says. God is what? God is light. God is pure light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. Now you can kind of nod your head to this theological principle, but I think it's important to pay attention to. There is no bad motive, no bad intention, no deception in God. There is no confusion in God. There is no darkness in him at all. Pure, perfect light and love. Everything in, around, about God is perfect light and perfect love. That's the image that John's going to paint this picture with. So we see that God is light, but then he goes on to say this in verse 6. He says this, so if we claim to have, now what's the next word there? If we claim to have Fellowship. You might want to circle that word because you're not going to use it in a sentence later on today. Uh, this is just not a word we use in everyday language. Some Christians like to hold on to this uh, word, but I, I don't know when the last time was that you texted someone's like, dude, let's hang out at the bar for some good time of fellowship. No one really says that. Like no one like bros out in fellowship together. So uh, this is a word. What it basically means is a soulful relationship, a oneness a connection. And so what John is saying is, if you claim to have this soulful uh, oneness, this deep connection, this bond of love and relationship with God, and yet you keep walking around in the darkness, you keep choosing to walk around the darkness, you lie. You're kidding yourself. 
you're fooling yourself. And you actually do not live out the truth. Now, again, John's not pulling any punches here. He's saying if we claim that we, yeah, I'm down with God, I have this relationship with God, it's awesome, but I keep choosing to live in the darkness, I am missing the point of it all. I'm missing the power of it all, of God's light, God's love in my everyday lives. We're kidding ourselves. But he goes on to say this in verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have, what's the word again? We have fellowship, deep soul level connection, loving relationship. We actually have fellowship, but this is really important now. With who? With one another. Isn't that interesting? He's saying that if we claim to have fellowship, relationship with God, we walk in the darkness, we're missing the point. But if we walk in the light, if we have this fellowship, this connection with God, we open our lives up to a deeper fellowship and connection with others. That the two actually go hand in hand. We have fellowship with one another. And on top of all that, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin, that we get forgiveness as well. If we walk in the light, if we choose to put God first, to put Jesus at the center, to walk as best we can, his will, his way for our lives, then here's what we get in the exchange. Not only freedom and forgiveness and fullness that can only come through Jesus, but we also get this other word, fellowship, connection, relationship with others. Another way of putting it is simply this. The more that I'm connected with God, the more that I am connected in relationship with God, the more I connect with others. So cool how that works. The more I'm connected with God in relationship, in fellowship, walking the light as best I can with Him, the more, the deeper I can connect with others. I wonder if anyone here has ever found that to be true. I have. I just saw it this Friday, like just a couple days ago. There's a guy that I've known kind of tangentially through a circle of friends for a while now, uh, lives real close to me, and we've bumped into each other here or there. He gets his hair cut the same place as I do, so we'll kind of bump into each other. But we have mutual friends who've said for years, I think the two of you would really be friends. I think the two of you should get together. And for whatever reason, it just never worked out. We never got together for lunch. But this last Friday, we got together for lunch. We said yes to our uh, friend blind date. And, uh, and which can be really awkward because we don't have any like a lot of history, just a lot of people telling us, I think you guys will like each other. So we got together for lunch and I'm so glad we did because within a, I, I'm not kidding, within a couple minutes, first five minutes, I felt this kind of fellowship with him, a deep soul connection. And as we unpacked our stories, we had no agenda other than to just get to know each other, share our life with each other over a meal. As we unpacked our story and the more and more we kind of opened up with each other, I could tell this man has a deep connection with God. And we're like halfway through, like we're not even through the fries yet. I'm crying. He's crying. We're at Soho House. All the cool kids are walking by. And I don't care because I'm having what John is talking about here. Out of his connection, my connection, my relationship with God, I was able to have a deeper connection and relationship with him. That's what John's talking about. That's what we get to experience when we open ourselves up to relationship with God. Now, he also says this, there's a warning in verse 8, but if we claim, if we act, pretend like we're without sin, like we don't ever mess up, like we don't have it all together, if we are without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, if we don't know that there's a difference between light and dark and that we are drawn to the dark, we're kidding ourselves. We're missing, again, the whole point of all of this. We don't know the truth 
about ourselves. But, he says this in verse 9, but if we, if we confess our sin, if we come clean with God, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. He will forgive you of everything that you name and claim, confess to him, and he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, what John is, is saying here is, I think, a profoundly important um, theological understanding of what it means to be in a relationship with God, that God makes a way for us to be in a relationship with him through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus, that that is our access to God and that we can find forgiveness and freedom and fullness and all those things through Jesus. And that is what John is saying here. But I think what he's also doing is he paints this picture of light and dark is he's also teaching us something else as well that we need to pay attention to. And I'll use uh, theological terms to describe this. In other words, what John is saying is, you're a mixed bag. I'm a mixed bag. You're the Garrett's three popcorn container with the middle divider pulled out. (laughs) You're a mixed bag. I'm a mixed bag. That there is in me at all times light and dark. That there is in me that that pull, that draw that I need to be definitely aware of, that I have this ever-moving scale within me from sin to sanctification, from healthy to unhealthy, from failing to forgiveness, from light to dark. That is the truth about you and about me. You are not all or nothing. You are not one or the other. You are a mixed bag. And so am I. We are folks, if we were to be really honest, we are folks who are drawn to the darkness. Let's be honest about that. Prone to wander, drawn to the darkness, yet called to the light, created for the light. And that's in each of us at all times. And I thank God that he's provided this way, as John paints out, for us to move from darkness to light through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus, that we can call out and cry out at any given moment and experience that. But I'm also grateful because what it helps me understand is, yeah, that is what is always going on in me. I'm drawn to the darkness, yet called and created for the light. And this is why I think the Enneagram is such a transformational tool, because what it does is it helps you know what stumbling and fumbling in the dark looks like for you. It helps you know what living in the light actually looks like for you. It helps you know the truth about yourself, where you're at, what you're actually drawn to. And so what I want to do for just a few moments is I want to walk through these nine different Enneagram types and types and use the framework that John gave us of light and dark. Okay, We're going to use that framework and apply it to each of these Enneagram types and look at what it looks like when you're living in the light or when you're dwelling in darkness. That makes sense? I would highly recommend that you pull out a pen and maybe jot some notes down. If you know what your type is or where you think you might be in the Enneagram, this is going to be incredibly helpful. If you're not sure where you're at, uh, I found folks have found that when you hear what it looks like to walk in the dark for your specific number type and you get really uncomfortable and you think everyone's looking at you because it perfectly describes you, Uh, that's a good clue that it might be your number. And so we want to pay attention. If you're not sure, this is a great way to kind of figure out the lens through which you see the world. Does that make sense? Okay, 
Uh, so let's walk through these together. Uh, the, the first one is the Enneagram type 1, which is known as the perfectionist or the reformer. Type 1s, again, like to have their lists, their systems. They love coming at the world through a way that makes sense. They kind of have a real big deal for justice and for right and for wrong. So when ones are actually living in the light, they become incredibly wise and discerning. In fact, they even become inspiring, and they become driven by a higher purpose other than just their way of doing the world, of going through the world. They are driven by a higher calling, a higher purpose when they're in the light. Now, when they're in the dark, ones can become very self-righteous because it's, you know, if you just did it my way, we wouldn't have all these problems, right? If we just kind of saw it my way, did it my way. And they also can add that they can become very judgmental. And what people don't often know is when ones are living in the dark, they can become very hypocritical because they'll have their way for everyone else to do it, but they're actually not honoring that and holding up to that in themselves. When ones are living in the dark, their posture is that of a victim and everyone else is wrong. Everyone else doesn't get it right. So how many ones do we have that know that they're one? Raise your hand. All right, didn't that feel fun? Wasn't that awesome? (laughs) Got eight more. Let's do this. Okay, any twos, anyone that kind of knows or thinks they're a type two, feels a type two, any type twos, they're known as the helper or the giver. All right, so type twos, when they're living in the light, type twos are unselfish. Now, why is that important? Because what we know about twos is they love to serve and love to meet the needs of others. It's one of the most beautiful reflections of Jesus. All of these reflect the character of Jesus, but they serve, they seek to serve others. Now, you can tell a two is living in the light when they are unselfish, when they are loving and serving others for no ulterior motive other than loving and serving others. They're unselfish, they're caring, they're compassionate, and they value their own self-care. They're taking care of themselves, not just of others. That's what it looks like in the light. Now, when twos are living in the dark, they can become manipulative self-serving, entitled. Basically, they're keeping a scorecard of, oh, remember all those things I did for you? Yeah, remember how I took that? Remember how I helped you move? I drove the truck. Like, they kind of keep all the lists, and they can feel like, you owe me. And their posture of um, receiving love is to get it, to force it out of you, because they gave it to you. So you owe it, and it should give it to them. Type threes. Anyone here know that they're a type three, the achiever? Right? Okay, good. So those of you who'd say, yeah, I think I'm pretty sure I'm type three. When you're living in the light, God, you are authentic. And why is this important? It's because deception is one of the biggest traps for the three. And when you're living in the light, you're authentic. We get to see you for all of who you are. You're energetic. You're humble. You don't need to let us know about all you've accomplished and all you've done because it actually is amazing. But you don't need to tell us that. And on top of all of that, you also are incredibly inspiring to others. People are naturally drawn to threes when they're living in the light. Now, when they're living in the dark, threes become very opportunistic. They look, they walk into a room and they just look at it through the lens of, okay, who, who do I need to know? What do I need to do to get to the top? It becomes all about them. They can be very deceptive, as I mentioned a moment ago, jealous of other people's accomplishments. They see other people achieving and it just turns in them. Why didn't I get that? Why didn't I become number one? They can go to real dark place of that and they can become really untrustworthy. The people, when threes are living in the dark, people kind of keep a distance from them because they don't know if they can really trust this person's motives are, or their intentions. So you see the difference between the light and the dark. Any type fours here, anyone individualist, anyone who want to know, raise it, come on, raise it high, raise it, yes, you are special and we love you. Type fours are such a gift to the world. 
uh, when type fours are living in the light, they are wildly, and when I say wildly, I mean world-changingly creative, literally. Some of the most powerful artists, performers in the world, most of them are fours, actually. And what you offer to the world when you're in the light moves people. And you are, when you're living in the light, you're very self-aware. You, you know what's going on inside. You know the truth about yourself. You're gentle with others, interested in others. You don't just care about uh, yourself. You're actually present with others. Now, when fours are in the dark, uh, they are prone to bouts of depression. The pendulum kind of swings all the way the other way. And there can be a lot of self-hatred, even self-harm. If you've ever heard the phrase, the tortured artist, it's kind of that idea with fours. Because things can't be the way that they believe that they authentically should be in the world, they can take that out on themselves, become a victim, even self-destructive to their own lives. Any type fives here? Anyone who's saying, yeah, I'm a five, go ahead and raise your hand. That's a big step for you to actually raise your hand like that, (laughs) put yourself out there like that. We appreciate that. Fives are known as the investigator. They love learning. They love uh, taking in all kinds of points of data and knowledge and understanding. Such a gift to the world because they have a way of taking it all in. And when fives are in the light, they're incredibly open-minded, which is really important. They don't just kind of take in all this information to form and lock in their opinion. They actually are incredibly open about what they're taking in. And they become visionaries, in fact. They take all of that knowledge and understanding and then they turn it and offer it to others through inspiring vision. They can become innovative uh, and insightful. When they're in the dark, uh, fives can pull away. They're prone to isolation, kind of just kind of go into themselves, become negative, fearful. They can repress their emotions. You're not really sure what's going on with a five, and lots of times they don't know either when they're living in the dark. Anyone here a type six? Anyone raise your hand a type six? Uh, Most Enneagram experts say that if there were a number type for America, it's type six. That there are more type sixes probably in America um, than, it's not based on any scientific study, it's just a hunch from people who know this stuff. Uh, type six are known as loyalists. They are the glue that hold things together. Uh, they really are a gift to any family, to any organization. Uh, they love to kind of know what the system is, what the rules are. It gives them a sense of safety and security. And when they're living in the light, they're incredibly trusting. They're actually courageous which is a big deal for a six. They step into the future with a level of confidence. And instead of waiting for others or looking to others to create safety and stability, they create it themselves, for themselves and for others. But when sixes are in the dark, they become very defensive. Uh, They can be divisive. They can kind of tear apart a family or tear apart an organization with all of their thoughts of all the future terrible things that might happen. They tend to assume the worst. Uh, and they can lash out at others. They kind of bottle it all up and then blow it all up on you. Uh, Any type sevens here? The enthusiasts, any type sevens? Yep, I'm a seven, and sevens tend to think their number is the best number in all of the Enneagram, and they'll tell you why. Um, Sevens, when you're living in the light, uh, so sevens love to just take in life for all that it's worth. They, They tend to make Uh, the party more fun, typically, sevens do. Uh, They have a positive outlook on life. They're always kind of looking to the future. They love options. And so when sevens are actually living in the light, they're actually grateful. They're not looking out into the future for future satisfaction. They're grateful for what is here now. They embrace life's depths. One of the things that a seven does is they kind of skate past life's pain 
by looking to the future. Well, if I could just have more fun, if I could just get one more thing, and if I could just get this one more thing, then I'll be happy. But when the seven's in the light, they're actually, they dive in deep and they live in the depths of life's experiences. They're content and they can be profoundly prolific when they offer their gifts to the world. In the dark, sevens become impulsive. They just kind of go with, you know, kind of what's in front of them or what they want in that moment. Uh, sevens are prone to addiction. And they can kind of obsess on something. They'll obsess on a show. They'll obsess on a food. They can obsess on alcohol, on drugs, on sex. They just kind of get locked in that this is the thing that's going to make me happy and keep me from having to face this pain. They become escapists and just kind of numb out and pull away from life and are also prone uh, to deep levels of depression because life isn't as rosy and cheerful as they tell everyone that it is. Uh, any type eights here? Anyone here uh, type eight? Awesome. Eights. Uh, my wife, Jeannie, is an eight. Uh, eights are known as the challenger. Uh, eights are one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful number on the Enneagram. Uh, they really can move people and move things into happening. And when eights are in the light, they do it for the sake of others, not for the sake of themselves. They become surrendered, uh, vulnerable. One of the things I love about Pastor Jeannie, one of my wife, is that when she preaches, if you ever heard Jeannie teach, because she's done so much work in this and because she longs to live in the light, she goes above and beyond in vulnerability on stage, more than any other communicator I know, more than I often do. And I'm so, I'm so grateful because I know what she's doing. She's saying, by exposing myself, making myself vulnerable, I'm actually going to live more in the light of Jesus. It's a powerful thing that eights can do. In the dark, and I'm not saying I've seen Jeannie in any of these ways, but uh, in the dark, they can become ruthless. Ruthless is the word. Ruthless. Uh, narcissistic. Everything is all about them. They kind of get stuck in their own little bubble of themselves. They can become vengeful. They can be out to get people who they feel have wronged them or hurt them or you know, disagree, even just disagreed in a meeting. And then they can actually become eights if in the dark can become delusional. And that's, I'm not joking around. They can literally create stories in their head and believe those stories to be true and then make decisions and move forward in the world in the dark believing the stories they've made up about other people or whole groups of people. Last one, nine. Any peacemakers, any nines out here? Awesome. Nines, we love you. God, you make everything just a lot smoother. Nines really do love harmony. They just love when we live in harmony. Now, nines, when they're in the light, are connected to themselves and to others. They're trusting, they're confident, which is a big deal for nines. They step out in confidence and they have a calming effect on their relationships. When they're in the dark, nines can become repressed, similar to the five. They can kind of pull in, pull away, become insecure or indecisive, and even at times unmotivated. And if you're a nine, you've ever found yourself kind of stuck, having a hard time making a decision, sometimes a big decision, sometimes a simple decision, and you just get stuck because you're afraid of the waves that it might cause to others. That is what it looks like sometimes, just a glimpse of what it looks like for nines to be living in the dark. Now, this is a brief picture. Oh my gosh, I just skimmed the surface. But the point of doing all of that, the point of doing all of that is so that we could actually get a picture of what light living and dark dwelling actually looks like for your unique type. So that you can be honest about what it looks like when you're at your best and at your worst. It helps you know the truth about yourself. And what I hope is, is we walk through all that. We walk through each of the numbers. And remember, you don't move between numbers. You move within your own number. My hope is that when I walk through all that, when you heard your number and you heard me talk about what it looks like to live in the dark with your number, you probably had the thought like, oh, man. 
I am literally the worst. Like none of the other ones sounded as bad as mine. Now that's just not true. And the reason I walked through, I took the time to walk through every number is so that you can see that when you are, because you will, dwelling in the dark, you're not alone. You're not the worst. You're not the only one. And when you can know that truth about you, do you know what it does? It makes space for grace. It makes space for grace to go, oh God, you still love me. And I know I'm not, there's, there's other people just as crazy as me. <laughs> just as hurtful or harmful or unhealthy. I don't want to live here. I don't want to live here. I want to have grace for myself, not shame, but grace for myself. And when you recognize the reason I walk through all these numbers is because when you're in relationship with someone else and you can kind of tell they're fumbling, they're stumbling around in the dark, do you know what that actually creates space for as well? Grace for them. Because you're willing to say, oh yeah, me too. Yeah, I know what that's like. I mean, mine looks different than yours. But both of us, we're all capable of this. You know, I think it's so important that we get honest and just know the truth about ourselves, that we're a mixed bag, light and dark. And I love the way that Richard Rohr puts it, because he doesn't say, like, it's all one or it's all the other. This is what Richard Rohr says. He says, darkness is always present alongside the light in us. It's just, it's always there. You just need to know that about yourself. Shadows are actually required for our seeing. The shadow parts of me, the dark parts of me, help me see me better. When I just try to ignore them or pretend like they don't exist or I have it all together, I'm lying, I'm kidding myself, like John would say. Knowing how and when and where and why you're drawn, uniquely drawn to the dark helps you find your way back to the light, helps you recognize what's going on and gives you space to experience the grace and the goodness of God. So this week, when you find yourself stumbling and fumbling around in the dark, as you will, I don't even need to say this week, later on today, <laughs> when I find myself, when you find yourself, I just, I want to give you, as we close, just two questions to consider. You might want to jot these down. I was given these as a gift from a friend of mine, a pastor named Jim. He passed this on to me, and I, love, I think they're such transformational questions. Two questions, and then we're going to wrap up our time. First question to ask, when you find yourself kind of fumbling, stumbling around the dark, and you recognize, oh man, here I go again, how do I get here? First question, what's here now? Just pause and go, okay, what's here now, God? What that is, is that is an invitation question. You're inviting God in, and you're basically saying, God, help me see me. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why I'm acting this way. I don't know why I'm believing these lies about myself or about other people. What's here now? What's going on? What do I need to be aware of? What am I pulling away from? What am I reacting to? What's here now? And when you can invite God into that space and allow him to help you see what's really going on here, then you're ready for the second question. And that second question is one that utterly depends on God, but God's not going to do it for you. The second question is this. Am I willing to shift? Am I really willing to shift? Am I willing to move from darkness take a step into the light? Am I actually willing to shift? Am I willing to ask God for forgiveness? Am I willing to own where I am and how I got here? Am I willing to confess and to come clean, to be gentle with myself as God is gentle with me? Am I willing to be vulnerable with others 
and say, I did it again. Here I am again. Or where necessary, I'm so sorry. Will you please forgive me? Am I actually willing to shift? Because nothing grows in the dark. Nothing good grows in the dark. And God has created you so beautifully, so wonderfully, so complex. And yet there are unique ways that you and I are drawn to the dark. But what is consistently true for each and every one of us is we're called into the light, called to live in the presence of God, to have fellowship and connection with God. And my hope and my prayer for each of us is that we would do what only we can do and whatever we can do when we find ourselves fumbling and stumbling in the dark is to say, God, help me understand where I'm at, what's going on. And then, God, will you help me move into the light? Will you forgive me? Will you free me? Will you show me who I'm meant to be? Now, two little homework pieces. The first one that we talked about last week uh, is these two books, these incredible books that we actually uh, have for sale in our store. You all responded so much to these books last week, The Road Back to You and The Path Between Us, that we sold out after this service last week. We had to like, write promise notes like IOU to the third service last weekend. So we have those. If you did not get those last week, they're available. If you buy them both together, it saves you a ton of money. I'd encourage you to do that. And here's a fun thing about this. Uh, the author of those books, Suzanne Stabile, we get to have a conversation with her next week. How fun is that? So that's going to be a fun thing for us. We are so excited to learn from her. That's the first little bit of homework. Second bit of homework is to practice the questions this week. What's here now? And am I willing to shift? And so what I want to do is pray for us as we move into our lives more aware, more connected to God and to others. Would you stand? I want to pray for us as we close our time together. And let's pray right now, right here where we are. There's no other place we can be than right here where we are with God. So will you join me? We open our hands, we open our hearts to God, and we pray. God, thank you that we, I thank you that we're actually a mixed bag, that we are created in your image, your handiwork, a reflection of you, and yet also drawn to darkness, prone to sin, prone to wander. It's true of me. It's true of us. And so, God, would you help us be more aware of your saving grace that finds us in the darkness and calls us into the light? And God, I pray for anyone right now that maybe is feeling like they're just surrounded by darkness. They feel beat up and beat down and overwhelmed. Oh God, would this be a word of hope and encouragement to them today? That there is more than darkness. That they are more than darkness. You've called and created them to live in the light. And God, I pray today that they would take a step closer to you and find your loving embrace waiting for them right where they are. And as you promised, your perfect love will cast out all fear. Your light casts out all darkness. And so help us do what John taught us to do today, to call out to you right from where we are. And to be more aware of the infinite complexities of how you created us. God, thank you for that. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.